Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, uh, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Dive Cuts. Uh, first of all, thanks for sticking with us as we're on season six of this journey that we don't know will end. Um, we're on episode 17 right now and coming to you a little bit later than usual um, and with a little bit of a partnership that you've never heard before. And who knows, after tonight, you maybe might not want to ever hear again. Uh, I'm your very temporary host, Matt Harris, uh, technically the basketball editor at Rock Nation, and I'm filling in for Sam Snelling tonight, who has decided to literally leave the country. He's fled to Portugal with his wife under the guise, he says, of, of an anniversary trip and a birthday trip. I'm not sure I buy that, but if I'm doing this, it means somebody else has to do my usual rambling, and that means we've got Matt Watkins joining us from suburban St. Louis tonight. And Mr. Watkins, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. Um, St. Louis, not as warm as Portugal, I imagine. And not as good a food, I would imagine either. I mean, not to deride St. Louis's uh, very fine culinary options, but it, it ain't the fresh, it ain't the freshness there. Uh, St. Louis is a good food town. Uh, my dinner tonight was not a good food option. So I, I will agree with that at least temporarily. Well, <laughs> I I did pizza tonight. My wife is working this evening, so I took the lowest common denominator and just used a coupon for Papa John. So whatever you did was probably at least better than what I did. Um, we have good news as we join people this week. I'm not sure if people if that's going to be to get people through this episode, but we're coming to you a day after Missouri uh, has knocked off number 25 Arkansas. We're recording on Thursday night. Uh, we were a little bit busier earlier in the week, uh, trying to 
offset Sam's workload. So we backed this up a little bit, but hey, that gives us good news to talk about tonight. Uh, the Tigers last night with a late 16-4 run rallied from a 10-point deficit to get a 79-76 victory at Mizzou Arena. Um, top line here, it gets the Tigers back to 500 in the SEC, ends a two-game losing skid. And granted, we're still six weeks from Selection Sunday, um, not time to panic, but always time to add insurance. Uh, added a quad one win to the team sheet. And we saw an individual we haven't seen for seven or eight games play 18 minutes, Mr. Isaiah Mosley. So other than that, just a very, very routine night in Columbia. Hey, Mr. Watkins. Yeah, it was, uh, there was a lot of good news last night from the, uh, from the tiger perspective, I think. Um, obviously the, the win, you can't discount that. There's never an opportunity that I will not enjoy seeing a Eric Musselman team take a loss. Um, last night, certainly included. Uh, <laughs> he seemed a little bit more, you know, downbeat than usual. I, I didn't see quite the level of like angst on the sideline. And really only Kamani Johnson's body language was terrible last night. So I don't know. Maybe he just didn't mainline three co- Diet Cokes before tip-off. I don't know what was off, but the vibe just seemed different from Musk last night. My theory is that the Diet Coke is merely a front. He does the hard stuff, the monsters, the rock stars back in the uh, back in the locker room outside of the public public view. Do you think he's like doing home batches of four loco as well? <laughs> like the wife like just sends it to him with like an old school canteen and is like Eric, just keep this hidden. We don't we don't need uh we don't need the uh, fine administrators at the University of Arkansas asking questions. It is Arkansas, so he may have a still in the backyard. We don't know. Look, look, they, they'll tell you that they're classy up in northwest Arkansas. <laughs> they'll tell you that on the hill, it's home of J.B. Hunt, Walmart, and, you know, all manner of corporate, you know, homes are there. This isn't backwoods, you know, yet hollers up in Arkansas. <laughs> oh, but I can I can beg to differ. Buffalo River uh, gets a little rural sometimes. <laughs> I think the big thing to me as we sort of, you know, take a, I think kind of a psychic look at this is this is one of those deals where I feel like in the course of a season where you feel like something can become two or three, and then it's really just hard to get out from underneath that. And, and, you know, I know Missouri has been able to sort of slog their way to 500, you know, through a really, really tough you know, slalom section of the schedule here. But this felt like one of those things where you could just maybe lose your grip on your ski a little bit. You know, you had take, you know, a blowout at A&M. You know, I thought there was a really, really good shot for them midway through second half at Florida to get a quality road win. And then last night they get down, you know, early, rally back from that. And then I, I think you and I were sort of texting last night. We really felt midway through the second half when Arkansas makes that run. That might have been kind of something similar to what we saw in Gainesville. But this team rallied and this team sort of fought back. And I think that there's, if anything, and I think I wrote this today in study hall, there's a degree of resilience with this group that I think stands out to me at this point. And so I was just sort of curious, what do you feel like we learned from this team about maybe its personality or, you know, about sort of what they can take forward, you know, if not on the floor, then sort of just emotionally from last night. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, You know, it's, we're, a little over halfway through the season and we already have three games we can look at um, game at Wichita state on the road um, central Florida, which was basically a road game 
although no one was there, mm. and the Arkansas game last night. And Mizzou was in a tough spot in all three of those games and managed to win all three. Now they've dropped a few games where they were in a position to win, namely Florida, and we can even count Arkansas um, in Fayetteville a few weeks ago. But no team is going to be perfect if you're not Wisconsin um, <laughs> on uh, in late and close situations, or if you're playing in Lawrence, I should add that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Those teams are pretty much impossible to beat in one possession games, but Mizzou for being a pretty new roster, they've, they've handled it well. Uh, I don't think you can really bank on half court bank shots going in um, to save you, but certainly at Wichita and certainly last night, they were, they were down double digits late in the game and managed to rally and come back. So, you know, I think that's there's something to be said for that. Don't think you can bank on an 8% free throw rate either. That's <laughs> look, we know whistles are going to happen in this league. They've it's been that way for a decade. It still makes me chuckle to see Missouri fans just complain about the whistles when the SEC's leading, you know, high major league in terms of putting teams on the line. It's just it's going to happen the way this conference has always sort of been as it's been a defense first, particularly an aggressive form of man type of conference. It's always been a league where I think it's been more downhill. The jump shooting numbers have always been really ugly in this league. And, you know, so it's aggressive on ball defense. It's, you know, athletic guys looking to get into gaps. And because there is no shooting, the floor spacing is really condensed. So you're going to have fouls. It's, it's going to happen. And, and last night, you know, Dennis's lobbying, you know, from Saturday came, came through for him and you know the officials rewarded this squad by putting him on the line a lot and the question to me is you know is there anything sustainable they can kind of take out of this game the jump shooting numbers are still not great they're still sort of sludgy right there um we can talk about why that is you know now or later you know depending on you know personnel and sort of where those guys are in terms of fresh legs but they're not shooting the ball particularly well right now this you know, I thought they did a good job last night not getting hurt, you know, in terms of what happened on second, you know, putback opportunities, but they're still getting beat up on the glass when teams decide to go to the rack and, and chase second possessions. And you can still get at this team in transition and you can still get it on them on the back end of the press. So it's, it's valuable for them to get a win last night, but man, Watkins, there's still some things that I look at too and go, Eh, I'm not quite sure I can say that this team is quite good. They just found a way to manufacture the right result last night. How do we sort of look at this in terms of another macro perspective on what this team's doing stylistically at this point in the season? Well, last last night's kind of a tough game to look at through that lens, at least Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because Arkansas shot the ball well. Yeah, Um, Arkansas traditionally does not shoot the ball well. Arkansas, while wide open, does not shoot the ball well. Um, Don't tell Jordan Walsh that my man's feeling it, (laughs) but they did last night, you know, and you have to overcome that. A lot of teams light Mizzou up from outside. That's, that's kind of what Mizzou is going to have to deal with going forward, but you at least hope with a team who shoots roughly as well as Mizzou did from outside last year, that it's not the night that you're playing them, but it was, Um, and probably even more 
outlandish was the fact that I believe Arkansas finished what 23 of 25, 23 of 26, something like that at the free throw line. Yeah. They're a sub 70% free throw shooting team. And that's an extra five, six points right there. Yeah. So Mizzou had a lot of headwinds last night and they, their outside shots weren't falling Mizzou that is. Um, So they had to come up with a way to win against a team that makes it difficult to do it the way Mizzou did it. Um, so I think there's there's good and bad from that. Obviously, the concern being Mizzou's jump shooting, which might be the lead into the next point. I do, I do not know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> On that point, they've welcomed someone back who we think could help them in that sort of sense. Isaiah Mosley returns last night, checked in at the 16-minute mark, played 18 minutes, I think, 18-11 overall last night. A lot of that kind of at the combo guard spot, a little bit, intermittent mix the point guard spot but as you would expect uh looked a little bit rusty oh four from three uh got to the line four times got a layup you know doesn't quite look like he's in rhythm yet but that's what happens when the guy sits for seven games and really hadn't played a lot you know had worked up to 20 minutes a game before you know he started taking a run of dmps and you know sort of disappeared from the scene just curious, what do you think Mosley's return does for this roster? You know, we wrote about it a lot earlier in the week. I would encourage people to go read of the piece that you wrote 80% of, sort of looking at what Isaiah's presence means to this group in terms of, you know, distributing workload. But just sort of watching him live last night, what what do you think he brought back to the table? And just sort of what do you think we should expect from him over the next couple of games? I mean, it means a lot. The the last two losses Mizzou took, and maybe even three, I'd have to go back and look at Arkansas. I'm sure it happened, but Mizzou went through extended scoring droughts. Yeah. Um, and when you have an Isaiah Mosley on the floor, he may not be knocking down his jump shot, which he wasn't last night. Um, but he is a guy, maybe more than anyone in college basketball, really, that can generate offense himself. Um, and that's an incredibly valuable weapon to have. So, you know, if we go back and rewind the results from the last few games where Mizzou was in the game and just went flat for five, six minutes at a time, and you throw in six points during that stretch, what changes? Maybe a lot. Um, and I think we kind of saw that last night. Mizzou scored, what, two points in the first six minutes of the game? Yeah, that, um, they got to change the starting lineup, I think, <laughs> but that's... <clears throat> but I get it. Coaches have their rhythms. They have their yeah. they have their sub patterns they like. But this is this is not a good offensive group that they have starting games for them. They had started well previously, um, but that had kind of I mean even against Florida I should say they they got out to a quick start. Although I think a lot of that was Florida um, not making shots. But yeah, I mean that that's certainly a, another conversation for another time. But uh, there was no doubt when Isaiah Mosley entered the game that. Um, the flow wasn't quite there, but the, the energy and the efficiency was, um, I think I may have mentioned this on Twitter last night, but over the last, I think it was last 20, 24 possessions. Yeah. That Mizzou was scoring a bunch of buckets at that point. I think they scored 32 points over 24 possessions and against Arkansas, that is a very good number. So, um, you know, I, I think it was a, I think it was a big turnaround, and I mentioned this to you last night as well that him getting back in the rotation may be even more important for the team than the win was itself. 
Yeah. So we'll yeah. see how that transpires. You know, we've, we've had this conversation before this year and then went through an ex- extended absence. Um, so if it, if it turns out that Mosley is back and this is what we can expect from him going forward, maybe a little bit more, I think it's very good news for Mizzou. I think the, the big thing that struck me was just sort of the distribution of minutes that they were at last night. You know, you really saw Nick Honor get back down to 26 or 27 minutes instead of being at 35. Demoy Hodge played, you know, I think a pretty comparable amount of minutes that he usually does, but he spent way more time on the wing. I think he only spent three or four minutes, you know, kind of in a, a two-guard role. I mean, the roles are interchangeable depending on the possession, but if you were to, like, look at the guy who sometimes gets the ball on the second side and initiates stuff, sometimes he does that, but mostly he's spacing. But he didn't have to do much, you know, you know, touching of the ball, you know, and have to carry a lot of the load at combo guard at all. You know, Isaiah Mosley came into that. And I thought then one thing that stood out to me is when they had him on the floor, it was a Sean East, and they had a long period where they were just able to let Nick Honor sit, watch, and sort of, you know, store some energy. And I think there's value in that. If not last night, then just for his legs overall throughout the course of the season. And the one thing that stood out to me too is even if you didn't have the shooting night that maybe you wanted from Des Moines Hodge, and I think, you know, there's larger questions about, you know, when that slump is going to sort of break. When he was on the wing, Missouri's, you know, scoring margin went up. You know, when he shifted back to his more natural position, the on-court results got better. And also, Shawnee spent more of a time in a 50-50 mix role at the point guard and combo guard spot. So I think it's just, it's a, you know, to your point, psychologically, it's great for them to have him back. But I think practically, they've they've now been able to sort of get back to a more logical distribution of their minutes. And, and we'll see what that looks like you know it would be especially helpful to have him on saturday you know as alabama shows up but before we move on and we just sort of look at anything else what do you think the value of this win is last night you know you do a great job every week of publishing the s curve it's really really helpful i think people should go look at it it's on the site right now it's really short and straightforward too so what do you think <laughs> this win meant meant to the overall body of work that this team is putting together it's it's hard not you know, we sort of like get myopic and we sort of look at every game and we want to declare this is massive for the team sheet. But I feel like last night, this is one of those things that you can store for a while and it's going to have some value. Even if Arkansas, you know, slips a little bit more, it's, I don't think they're going to fall too far out of a quad one win range, hopefully. But I think there's some value in what they got last night that's a little bit more durable. Yeah, I think you kind of hit on the point there. A lot of it, at least to me, and from a resume perspective, hits on how Arkansas does the rest of the season. I mean, if they win one conference game, which they won't, but if they did, that then it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, but Arkansas is a good team. They're just they're having to go through some issues with the loss of Nick Smith and Trevon Brazil. Um, that they're trying to search for answers, kind of in the same way Mizzou had been in the yeah. last few weeks. They've got their guys they want on the floor and they're playing a lot of minutes in a high intensity, high effort 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swarming style, and they want to get out and run in transition. That, you know, it's just a lot to ask of those guys. And as the season wears on, you play twice a week. You know, you're just, I think Arkansas had five guys play 29 minutes or more last yeah, night and two of them were 39 minutes. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible amount. Uh, so even for Muss with a short bench, that's an, that's an insane workload. Right. Uh, so as far as what the win means, I think for now it means it's a good win. Um, what it means for Mizzou going forward. I don't know. Um, that's, that's, we'll, we'll find out, but I do think as a whole, there's a lot for Mizzou to have felt good about last night namely coming back from down 10 with about five to go and the return of Mosley. And I think if those two things are the takeaways and they stick, then that's going to end up being a really great night. So last week, they, you know, we're going to try and get back to look a little bit at last week, just two tough road games. You know, I, I don't think anybody even could have looked at the beginning of the year and said, you know, if you could get a split, that would be ideal for this team. I, I don't think anybody should have rationally looked at, you know, that, know sequence on the schedule and said you know a sweep should be possible there i don't think anybody thought an 18 point loss in college station was going to happen but you know nine points at florida i I thought that was well within sort of the you know the uh the normal range normal distribution of outcomes there but i I was just sort of curious you know you and i have talked about you know sometimes in frustrated tones about what we saw last (laughs) week but what do you want to share for public consumption that you think you know just as we kind of get ready to turn the page, what do you think we need to carry forward from from those two performances? Well, the A&M game, the takeaway that I have is that uh, even though Frank Martin left the conference last year after he was relieved of his duties at South Carolina, his ended up at lives. UMass, um, he's back in College Station. A&M has turned into the new South Carolina of college basketball, where they meander through the non-conference schedule, taking bad loss after bad loss, and then show up to conference play and turn into a great team at the flip of a switch. So I'm not ready to proclaim that uh, A&M is the second coming by any means, but they are they are a different team than what we watched back in November and December. Uh, I can't trust Buzz <laughs> <laughs> until we get to conference play. It's <laughs> it's it's unreal and. I, Murder ball is alive and well. I thought we had, I thought we had excised ball from the league. Nope, it it still uh, thrives down there. the The one thing that I think I was frustrated with with the A and M performance was, yes, the jump shooting was poor. Yes, when you go back and watch that tape, 
all those shots are good shots. Like I, I you know, you and I, when we go through and we grade tape, I think all of, you and I probably would have looked at that and said, you know, there's some good offense here, little sticky at times, but a lot of the jumpers, at least when I looked at them on tape, were good shots in spots that guys want to take them. They just didn't drop. To me, what the A&M tape showed was even kind of an average offensive team can get at this group on the glass. It can get at them in transition, and it can find ways if this team wants to press to make them pay a little bit. And that's not going to go away this season. I think this team is going to ship points in ways they're going to be continually frustrating for this group. And as we've talked about here, the shooting issues compound themselves because that's how Mizzou sort of digs out from those little stretches where they, you know, seep some points. That's how they backfill. If the shooting's not going, the math gets really, really sticky. And so that's, I think, to me, what's worrisome here is even if the shooting recovers a little bit, but it's, you know, not back to 36 or 37%, but closer to 33%, has Missouri entered a phase where the margins were already basically break even, but if they don't get the shooting back to something approximating what we've seen, you know, through non-con or even the early part of conference play, this defense is just going to be so leaky and so kind of inconsistent at times that it's not really going to matter what the offense does to bail them out or what the possession math looks like. But am I being a little bit too pessimistic? Um, Maybe. I think, at least personally on this, that I think Mizzou can survive in that low to mid-30s range. They can't survive in the mid-20s range, No, um, which is what we've seen the last few games. Um, Mizzou, for their size, is a really effective team around the rim and inside the arc. I shared this with you earlier today that last night Mizzou was eight of 11 inside the arc on non-rim contested two-point shots, eight of 11. That's mid-range jumpers that were contested. That's an absurd number. Uh, that's now, Dree's dream right there. I mean, I, I am a, I'm a stickler when it comes to what is a rim attempt, what is not a rim attempt. So people can disagree. If you are not going right at the backboard, I, I don't count it. Um, but there were a lot of tough shots, like uh, DeAndre Golston's last make, um, which miraculously drew a foul um, on top of it. Um, but that fadeaway, that, that was a tough shot, and he, he sunk it. You know, So Mizzou has been making up for the lack of outside shooting in other ways. It's just hard when you're, take, when you're forced to take those shots, which are worth two points, and you're not getting the shots that are open that are worth three points. Um, math, math time, right? Uh, yeah. So. Random line <laughs> through the shooting zone has, has revealed math of three being greater than two. <laughs> and uh, that's almost a segue for Saturday, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> Bama's got a, my favorite part about watching one, Everyone here knows that this, if you're coming here for this, this is not surprising. But if you're new to this podcast, I swear I, I have a life outside of basketball. But if you watch like clinics of Nate Oates, they have a four point line on the floor. And there's one where he goes, we've legitimately talked about a five point line. <laughs> like they, which to me is just fantastic, which I think if you were to draw it in proportion it would be a logo three in Coleman right. Coliseum and, and it, it, it just, didn't it, it doesn't sound like he's joking either it sounds like an earnest thought 
passing through Mr. Oates's brain. And I'll say this one thing and one thing only. It's I, I appreciate Nate Oates's um, devotion to math and a lot of it makes sense. Um, I do not know that um, conditioning your players to take longer and longer three pointers that are worth more and more points is necessarily the best strategy, um, but it is a strategy. So well, we backed our way into Bama <laughs> and Bama is NATOs is a math teacher and very clearly, you know, probably has an Excel spreadsheet deck, you know, a decade old outlining, you know, points per shot, even though Dean Smith was one of the first guys to ever do it. But you can tell that he is unabashed in his hunt for efficiency and angles and space. And so there's something sort of romantic that I can take about that where, you know, it's simplistic, but there's elegance in it. At the same point in time, man, it it feels like Bama is so committed to the bit that they get themselves in trouble. Now, this year they aren't, but, you know, in years one and three, it felt like the commitment to the style at times put them in some binds. That is not happening this year. They have shot the ball at an average clip, probably around 35%. But it helps when you got Brandon Miller, and it helps when you got Jaden Bradley settling in and Noah Clowney's, you know, a six foot 10 guy alongside your seven foot center, Charles Bediaco. And they're guarding, which I think is the biggest difference too. So they've got the right personnel for this system. And, you know, it's that kind of every other year thing where Bama decides to lock down and guard. But this is this is a group that I think coming in on Saturday has found the right sort of mix, you know, for you know what they want to do in terms of the freedom and in terms of the stripped down nature of their offense, but you know the commitment to defending. So just sort of when you've watched Bama this year, what stood out to you about them in the in the times that you've been able to catch them? Um, probably the most pressing issue is that they are a good rebounding team. They rebound a lot of yeah. their own misses which is concerning um for a team that likes to shoot three pointers um one that is able to get rebounds and shoot more three pointers um on paper does not sound like a good matchup for mizzou um that being said you never know Uh, a bounce the ball here a bounce the ball there you don't know but i i did want to point out one thing i had been looking over some of their numbers earlier today and i couldn't help but chuckle that uh, speaking of Nate Oates's bit that against LSU, when they won by, I don't know, 50, something like that, yeah. um, they were 20 of 54 from three point range. They took 54 three pointers in a game. Yep. <laughs> I don't, yep. I think I'm not even sure Mizzou took 54 field goals total last night. No, they didn't. They took 49. Yeah. So that was a little absurd. Yeah. The, <laughs> And look, I sort of get it. Like this is, this is where me watching a clinic tape is great because I get what they're doing. They've essentially said we're going to play in a five-out alignment. We're going to try and double gap everything. We're going to run some four-out base concepts. Like when you watch some of their triggers, it's a spacing cut of a guy just trotting vertically to the dunker spot, and you go, "That's a cut." It is for this team because it opens that double gap on a, for them on a, on what uses what usually is the two side, and they can just play off that. And what they want to do is they want 
you to have to help the helpers. They want to put Jaden Bradley in a gap. They want you to rotate to stop him or stunt and then have your shell rotate one over as one does. And then they just play off that. And the issue is because they shoot the ball so well and because they now have a four-point line and they're shooting from almost in front of the coach's box, the closeouts get longer, the rotations are harder for you, and sometimes if they're running basic screening action, which they don't run anything that I don't think anybody who watches the NBA is you know, totally unfamiliar with, but they get stuff to where they're opening up gaps and they can drive it, and sometimes they'll have cutters and rollers. But really, everything is dependent upon them shooting at that volume because you need to feel like you have to run them off the line. And I respect it, but there are some nights where, as you said, 20 of 54, it's just like you didn't want to diversify (laughs) the option here. You didn't want to run something else. And so I get it. it. It seems to me sometimes I think they get so stuck in what they do that they can, you know, almost sort of take away other options there. The other deal I sort of look at is their personnel. Look, Brandon Miller has been fantastic. He's probably going to be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Mark Sears has been a really, really great pickup for them. Shooting, I think, above 40% on catch and shoots. Those two guys can absolutely strafe you. But everybody else is kind of in that 30 to 34% range. That's respectable. But is it come screaming with your hair on fire to get a hand up? Not so much. So to me, I think the question that you have to ask yourself is, and and we can talk about this if you want, is, is it worth being so committed to running them off the line or just saying, you know, let's drop into soft man. Let's just gap everything. Let's take away those driving gaps so we don't have to, you know, rotate so aggressively and let them play off of it. Or do you zone it? Missouri has shown that it will zone. It'll take some two, three principles and kind of mutate them a little bit. So would you think about zoning a team like Bama in this game and just say, if you shoot us out of it, that's fine. But you're not going to be able to get into gaps and you're not going to be able to attack and you're not going to be able to play off of it. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with jumpers. And we'll see if you can do it. Yeah, I think the defensive strategy in this one is probably the one with the least bad options. Um, there is no great option the, for Mizzou. Right. Um, Mizzou right. is not a good defensive team. We we know that um, if they can get to average, they'd be a very good team. Um, and it's year one, so I'm not going to harp on that. But just for the purposes of this discussion, um, Saturday is going to be a challenge. There's pretty much two things that you're going to have to do or two things that are going to have to happen if you want to have a chance to win. First, you're going to need them to miss three-point shots. A lot of them. A lot of them. And hopefully get a fair percentage of the rebounds. And two, you're going to have to create some turnovers. Alabama does turn the ball over. Um, So if you can get the right mix of those two things, Mizzou can have a shot. If you do not do those two things, the game will be over by halftime. you know, it's and there, there's no shame in that. Alabama no. is a very, very good team this year, and they're they seem to be getting better. Um, they've got a good mix of upperclassmen, size, athleticism, youthful promise, um, lottery lottery pick talent. Um, you know, they're I don't want to say a complete team, but they're very, very, very good. So, 
Um, it's going to be a challenge. So as far as what defensive strategy use, I, I don't know. Um, we'll see what um, Coach Gates decides to use. I, I think there's virtue in trying to turn up the pressure a little bit to get more turnovers before they can even shoot. Um, on the other hand, I think there's some virtue to keeping them away from the rim, which those two things usually do not run together. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a pick your poison. Which do you think you're going to have a better shot at? It's a it's an intelligent bet that you're making. Yeah. The the what I enjoy about Kimpom is they have kind of a a game plan page for each season. It's one of the links that's probably not clicked on a lot, but it takes you to basically a massive table of an entire team's like basically four factors, and at the bottom it multiplies R squareds or correlation values by a hundred. So if you see negative 71 under a number, it means like it's a strong negative correlation, which means that number gets bigger, you know, or as a number gets smaller, the opposite thing happens. So if you look at, you know, Bama's pages over the years, two things are strongly correlated with them having a bad day offensively. One turnovers Two, when the pace gets, you know, down probably into the upper sixties or seventies and they can't run it's things get tough for them because so much of what their offense is too. And where I think a lot of times where you, where we sort of are taken aback is Nate really, 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 if we think coach Gates is liberal with the eight seconds belong to the players, you know, Nate Oates is the Bernie Sanders of the first eight seconds. It is as liberal as you want to be. It is come down, attack hunt. And that's how they get a lot of buckets. They get it off. They push off everything. They're running fires down the floor. They're trying to get shots early. If you can, so Missouri's in sort of that weird spot of can they run intelligently? Can you find some ways to slow them down the half court? It's going to be fascinating to watch. I'm, you know, I think the predicted margins, like I said in the opening, have this around a seven point loss. What do you think? I won't, unlike Sam, I won't ask you to give me a, an actual score, but do you, what do you think the margin is on Saturday? Um, do I have the answer to whether Kobe Brown and Isaiah Mosley play? <laughs> Let's say that, yes, they both play. I think Mizzou can give it a good shot. Um, and the reason why I say that is completely irrational. Um, <clears throat> Nate Oates, this is a fan. This is a fan podcast. Why? <laughs> what would you assume rationality plays in anything here? Nate Oates has brought good teams into Columbia before and has and played worse worse Mizzou teams than this one um and one that's arguably better I, I I won't say all of them were worse but uh um things have not typically gone well for him here even when he's had a very good team I think back to the 2021 season when they were mm-hmm. a very very good team and Mizzou had them down what I think it was 22 points in yeah. that game and granted yeah. it slipped away and the Tigers had to hold on excuse me, had to hold on late. But every game seems like Mizzou puts together a big lopsided run in those games. Um, Last year, Mizzou was not a good basketball team and Alabama wasn't as good as they are this year, but was still considerably better than the Tigers were. And I think Mizzou was up 20 in that game. Um, You know, perhaps there's something to be learned from that. I don't know. Um, I'm sure the takeaway from this will be Matt Watkins says to go dust off Conzo Martin game film to see how to stop Alabama. And maybe there's something to that, but um, that staff was good at scouts, man. They were good at scouts to your point. They, they tried to slow the game down, you know? So I think there's something to that. 
um, keep teams away from the rim and made them beat them from outside. And Alabama in the certain games that they played at Mizzou Arena couldn't do that. So I think there's a good chance. I think Mizzou will have a very lively crowd. Um, things are on on the face of things. This looks like a game Mizzou could um, perhaps compete in. There's the whole off-court issue that I don't think we want to dive into too deep here um, for Alabama with the uh, whole yeah. homicide and everything. Um, but uh, I mean, Darius Miles had been away from the program before this had transpired. They had sure. been without him since I think mid December, just as they've been with just, they've been without Namari Burnett. Who's got a broken wrist. I think, you know, to me, the Bama team coming in here has not been materially impacted by, you know, Darius's miles, right. Darius miles presence or lack thereof. So. so to the extent that any of that plays in, you know, there's, I think there's several things that bode well for Mizzou, but on paper, if this was a neutral site game played in front of nobody, I would not feel great about Mizzou's chances, but yeah. again, that's why they play the game. Mizzou has not been yeah. shooting well. If Mizzou shoots it really well and Alabama doesn't, yeah. that changes basketball games. So yeah, that that that's my, you know, it's going to be a key, you know, every game until we see something change or we have, you know, the data set the data set gets bigger here. But if they can make shots, I think that's huge for them. I think if you can set the press and get a token press and make sort of Bama work into their stuff a little slower. You know, I think if you change defenses, you know, Missouri's gotten into doing that a little bit and they've been using the zone kind of as a run breaker a little bit. So if they can use that as a handbrake, if Bama's starting to get a little bit of momentum, that would be handy. But yeah, I think they're going to have to make shots here. Obviously it's, it we'll see what the foul count looks like. Bama's a team that when it gets to the rim, a lot of it's in transition. In the half court, they're really reliant on rollers and cutters. If Missouri can get back consistently, short circuit, and make Bama play out in the half court, I think they can f- get a toehold in this game because Brandon Miller's a really, really great prospect. Don't get me wrong. This is not me saying Brandon Miller's not good. But if you watch him on tape, there are times where if he's a driver, particularly in ball screens, he struggles to get separation. You know, there are scouts who will talk about vert pop, which is can he get off the floor and finish athletically over, you know, average type guys. Sometimes he struggles with that. He's not a very good scorer out of ball screens. He needs DHO where he can kind of get that momentum going in and turn a little bit. But even then he's looking to shoot it. So if you can you know, make him a driver, make him get into, you know, some clogged gaps, make him get into some tight spaces. You can limit him there. Mark Sears is a guy who can play off the catch a little bit. If he's not able to get into big gaps, suddenly things start getting a little boggy for them. And I think, I don't think you're going to stop them for the entire game. You know, Nate Oates teams are known for, they're going to have a big jag somewhere. They're going to catch a heater, but can you consistently force them to have to say, okay, we can't get into gaps. We can't drive it. We're, there's, the space isn't there for us. We're going to have to shoot it. And then can you go get rebounds? That's That to me is the fine mix they've got to have there. I I think they'll keep it you know, probably within six or seven. I, I really think this is a team that you know has found a way at times to execute scouts. We'll see what they can do here. I think they're going to have a little bit of good mojo two coming out of what happened on Wednesday night. And 
we'll, we'll see. But the nice part is they got one win this week. They've added something to the resume. So this is just found money if they can pick it up on Saturday. And I think you said earlier today, what would this do at least right now? If, if they were to get a win over Bama, what would that do to possibly their spot on the S curve in the seed line? Well, as I had mentioned in my piece, this is a now cast, not a yeah. future cast, but, uh, I would you still play with the numbers. You still play with the spreadsheets. <laughs> I do. Um, but I would, the, the Arkansas win was worth about a seed line, about four mm-hmm. or five spots, Alabama, without knowing the margin of victory, assume it was a one point victory. I think it could be six, eight spots. So it'd be, okay. it would be quite a bit more. Um, obviously if you run up the margins, your a lot of your metrics go up. So that would help even more, but, yeah. uh, it would, it would definitely be a win that you look at in March saying this is the difference between where we're at or where we could have been. So it's a nine, it's not nothing. A nine or a seven seed is how right. I think I would look at it. At least when you play with it in Tor- Torvik's tourney cast a little bit, if you flip that in and out and assume all the other results hold, it's taken them from about a high nine to a low seven. So it's been worth about, yeah, five or six slots in terms of the S curve. So that's, that's what's out there. And again, that's insurance to me if the Arkansas you know, situation continues to be a little bit muddled for them. So win games, reconcile by winning, and just <laughs> don't, don't, just don't lose to South Carolina. Don't put that ugliness on your team sheet. Just don't do that. Um, before we get out of here, there's one matter we do have to uh, discuss. Recruiting still happens during the season, um, even though I pay much less attention to it. Uh, but last week, uh, middle of last week, around this time last week, word started percolating around that Missouri was getting ready to lock up a commitment. It's fourth of the 2023 cycle. That was announced on Monday. It is Kurt Lewis, uh, the number three Juco prospect in the country. Uh, a Louisville native started his career um, at Eastern Kentucky. Uh, spent two years with the Colonels in Richmond. Uh, went into the transfer portal last season. Didn't get the offers he wanted. Um, he had been recruited by JUCOs out of high school, one of them including Kyle Smith-Peters at uh, Logan College. Committed there. Kyle Smith-Peters came to Mizzou. And voila, that connection winds up paying dividends. Um, Matt, I don't know how much you've been able to see of Kurt. I've written about him, but this is your opportunity to sort of talk about it. First of all, just what are your thoughts? What do you think it means either, you know, from what you've seen of him as a player or just from roster construction? I'll let you take it whichever way you want to go. Um, I'll let you hang on the, uh, on the, what you think of him as a player. I really haven't seen a whole lot of him. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the roster construction goes, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we're, Mizzou only has three players that we know can't come back next year. And that's yeah. DeAndre Golston. Trago Million and Demoy Hodge. Every other player has the option of returning. So that's nine scholarship players out of the 12, 10 if you count Mabor Majak. Um, so who is on scholarship? Who is on scholarship? I believe I, I was giving you the opening for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so of the 13, 10 are able to return. Now, whether an Isaiah Mosley or whether a Kobe Brown decides to return, we don't know at this point. Um, but we do know that we have three scholarship players who have been brought in from high school ranks. Um, and you know, and those three would theoretically take the spot of the three departing players and college basketball in 2023, you can count on 
at least one, as many as three, perhaps even more spots opening up um, at the end of the season. So I don't really think there's a whole lot to take from it from that perspective. Um, I think the staff has done a good job of identifying guys that they have a connection with, yep. with Kyle Smith-Peters in this case, both with Sean East and the attempt at Jamarian Sharp, um, and now Kurt, Kurt Lewis. So, um, and that even goes into the uh, players that uh, Coach Gates brought with him from Cleveland yeah. State and had experience with um, DeAndre Golston at Milwaukee in the Horizon League. So I think that they really like to bring in guys that they have a familiarity with. Um, so this, to me, kind of would take the spot of potentially a spring portal entry. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. I really don't think there's a whole lot pro or con to say about it. It's just that you can almost guarantee that there's going to be additional spots um, even beyond the four that we've used. So. Yeah, they they are going to lose three, and the indications are that they're going to return Noah, Noah Carter. They're going to return both ball handlers and Sean East and uh, Nick Honor. The question then gets into you know would you know Ryan DeGray, you know who is playing now, but it's just unclear what his status would be. Would he want to come back or look for more minutes elsewhere? That's not speculation. That's just me putting out you know what guys' respective decisions will look like once March gets here. Kobe Brown's going to have a decision as to whether or not he wants to go and try and collect a professional paycheck, or is there an NIL opportunity here, you know, in Columbia that might, you know, make him want to exercise that COVID year. The important thing with Kobe Brown is he can stay and Missouri can go to 14 scholarships. That was part of the NCAA bylaw that was, you know, drafted back during the pandemic. If a guy does not transfer and uses his COVID year, he will not count against the cap for them. So they could keep Kobe Brown and go to 14 slots and that would fit Kurt Lewis in easily. We don't know what Kobe's plans are. We don't know if, you know, he plans to stick around or not. His brother, you know, interesting to debate theoretically what he would do if Kobe left. Would he be a guy who would look to stay here? He hasn't played a lot this year. Caleb, you know, saw his role expand as the season went on last year and Missouri's ball handling situation got precarious, that hasn't been the case this year. Is he going to be hunting for more minutes? Again, don't know, but that's just something to keep in mind. And then we're going to get to Isaiah Mosley. At this point, anything, you know, that you, you could pitch me on him staying or going, and I could see a, a pretty sound mm-hmm. rationale in him coming back or, or, you know, just deciding that's time to go collect a paycheck. But right now, Missouri's, likely probably going to look at two to three openings in the spring. That's just how it goes at the high major level. Kurt Lewis was a guy that, you know, Kyle Smith-Peters knew that they, and had identified, you know, he's, I've watched two games of him at you know, Logan. And I think I told you, he's kind of like a beefier Des Moines, you know, you know, plays out in transition, leaks out really, really at home there, you know, Spot up dependent, you know, can attack off the bounce a little bit, but he's looking to shoot it a little. At, you know, Eastern Kentucky, in the one game I was able to find, they kind of used him at times as a small ball four. And shot selection under A.W. Williams was, again, very liberal. But he's a big-bodied guy. He's 23. I don't think there's a lot left you're going to get out of him in terms of physical maturation. But 
he's a guy who's on his fourth recruitment. He did a prep school out of high school, went to Eastern Kentucky. So that's two. Then, you know, he transferred. That's three. This is his fourth one. So there, I think there's something to be said to your point of these guys, the staff tends to go recruit older transfers, guys who have been around the block, guys who have seat times. And really, I think who are kind of no frills in how they want to be recruited. They want to come in. They want to see what the role is. They want to see what, you know, the strength program looks like. They want to see what the facilities look like. There's no sort of touchy feely sort of like thing. It's what can you do for me as a player? And I think, you know, Lewis sort of responded to that. He had been getting some SEC and other high major interest, but Missouri was the first school they offered. There's the familiarity with Kyle Smith Peters. And, you know, if you're in Missouri's position, you know you're going to have an opening, and this is a guy that you think can fill take a stab at it. The numbers would tell you that he's probably closer to a sixth or seventh guy in the rotation, just, you know, based on what we've seen, you know, from his Ken Palm numbers and what I've seen in synergy, but you know, you don't know until they roll the ball out. So it's a good pickup. I think just from a depth perspective, what, like you said, I think see what the ramifications are come spring. Um, Other than that, Watkins, nothing else happened this week. Sam went on vacation and nothing happened. It was a very quiet week. And, you know, we didn't even get to talk about, you know, Noah who had COVID. So there's, it's so much happened. We're ignoring guys sitting out because they didn't get a shot. So it's, you know, Sam picked a great time to to leave us to our own devices. So uh, thank you for lending an extra hand this week as as we go through this but sure when the, before we get, when the cat's away right the mice will play uh, yeah that, that's right that's, <laughs> or they'll just try to keep from drowning in a saucer full of cream they'll they'll try and avoid doing that and every person under age 25 now knows that we are old <laughs> with those two references um for all of you out there listening thanks for again coming back we hope you had fun this week we hope you've enjoyed uh, you know, the week of basketball that's happened so far. There's more to come Saturday. Uh, make sure you're going over to the site and checking out things. We're producing content every day. Uh, we should have this podcast will go live tomorrow on the website. It'll also be in podcast feeds. That's your reminder to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or Android devices. You can find us anywhere. And if you subscribe, our nonsensical ramblings just show up uninvited on your mobile device. It's great. You, you really won't regret that choice. Uh, I would encourage you to follow Mr. Watkins on Twitter. He has a much better handle than me. It's at data Mizzou. It makes sense. I have my birth year just so you know how old I am, but I'm at Matt J Harris, 85. Uh, we have Sam T Snelling. He's not here, but you can follow him anyway, mostly just cause you can make fun of him for tweeting out really fancy beer bottles, <laughs> really fancy beer. I, you know, I don't know why he needs so much gilded stuff on a bottle. It's, it's alcohol, but Sam is into that kind of thing. Um, Watkins, anything that we, I have omitted in that spiel, anything that I have forgotten to say before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. We didn't, um, touch much on Florida and I think I'm fine with that. Um, that I, think was we're a, all, I think everyone's fine with that. that. That's a burr in the saddle. Um, so to continue with old man references. Um, so I think, uh, other than that, we hit it awesome awesome well thank you everybody for joining us and we will be back probably at our normal recording time next week we're going to try and get back in the saddle matt watkins won't have to deal with me again i don't think i'll have to deal with sam 
that's just the kind of circular firing squad we have here on the podcasting side of Rock Game Nation. Thanks very much and hope you all have a great weekend.